to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to share for a few minutes out of God's Word some things that I believe God has put on my heart to share with our community tonight, and, uh, and so I believe that God has something uniquely uh, ordained for us this evening, and I'm grateful. Um, so 1 John chapter 2, and I'll let you get there. Now, if you're unfamiliar, I've chosen tonight, I don't normally do this, but for just clarity and ease, um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so if you've got the Bible app, you can just zip to it. If you're following on the notes that we post uh, on our website under uh, tonight's worship, then it'll make total sense because it's right there. But um, I'm going to go out of the New Living Translation, and just because it reads fairly easily, and then we're going to walk through each verse and kind of break it up and see what God would say to us from there. So I'm going to read along, and I'm going to ask you to follow. So 1 John chapter 2 says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, then that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show completely that they love him. And that is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So let's just take this idea and this text. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been going through 1 John. Um, we, I really believe in just walking through the Bible and letting it speak to the issues of the day and to places that God is taking us. I believe that if we just stick to the text, then everything that we need to hear and, and should hear would be made, will be made clear. And so I don't have to take extra leaps or strides to get there. One of the things that we see here is uh, a Pastor John, really. I just refer to him as Grandpa John. Uh, my daughter Riley likes it when I call him Grandpa John because she likes that picture, that image. But you've got John, who is the last remaining apostle. So the last one of the apostles who was actually physically with Christ when he's writing this letter. They, they, he was very up there in age. Uh, I gave a little bit of the history. Um, he had been through all kinds of crazy things in terms of his his uh, uh, work with with teaching and preaching the gospel. Um, they, he had been boiled alive at one point, so he they they say he probably by this time of his life probably looked pretty gnarly. Um, there had been all kinds of atrocities that had happened to him, and so he had been through it. and And John was speaking from the heart of someone who understood the message in a different way. He's about ninety years old. Christianity had been spreading like wildfire because of the way that the government had kind of come in and crushed um, the, the Jews and all of the people groups there. So they'd spread. There'd been great dispersions of large new numbers of people um, who called on the name of Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that they also would note was while the gospel had been going out, it had been going out very broadly, but hadn't had a chance to settle deep into the hearts of people. 
And so what the call for this uh, text and what he's doing with these letters is he's saying, I know that it's out everywhere and I know that it's far reaching, but I'm encouraging you to go deep and to understand really what it is that you say you believe. And I think that's something that I would just stop there and say, church, that's, that's God's call to us. Like it's one thing to get it, to, you know, to, to have it and say, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, that's great. But it's another thing to take it deep and let it take root in our hearts and let it literally shape and change the way that generations of our families live. And so Pastor John is talking to us and, and, and he's taking us through this and we hear it and it's kind of a reminder of who he is and what he's doing when he opens up this chapter by saying, My dear children... My dear children, I don't know if you had like endearing names with like your grandparents and those kind of people in your life, but you just, you know when your grandpa's talking to you. You know when somebody with wisdom who cares about you is talking to you. And here he says, my dear children, and then he follows it up to say, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. Now, it's interesting, in chapter 1, he says, I'm writing this so that your joy will be complete, that your joy will be full. So, in chapter 1, okay, we break it up into chapters. This would have been just one letter from John. The first thing he says is, I'm writing this so that your joy will be full, your joy would be complete. And then he follows it in chapter 2 to say, I'm writing this so that you won't sin. And, and in some ways, I started thinking, like, isn't this kind of contradictory? Like, not even contradictory, but like you already said why you're writing this. Now you're re-clarifying and it doesn't seem to make sense. So am I here to not sin or am I here to be full of joy? Which one do you want? And then I started thinking about the bigger picture of this. When I'm not living in sin, I'm generally happier. That's kind of how it rolls. Okay, so if you're a teenager or a preteen, but if you're like here and you're not a parent or a full-grown adult, right? Think about this and you tell me, is it better when you know you're not in trouble and you're cruising your house, right? And you can just kind of cruise through and ask your parents, hey, can I watch TV tonight? Or is it better when you know you've done something you know you shouldn't have done and you think your parents might know, but you don't want to talk about it? Which is the better scenario? Right? Come on. What one? Riley, what do you got? Choice A. She's giving me the A, right? Yes, of course. I don't want to be busted. Like, there's that idea. And some of you who are adults here are like, you remember when you were out on Friday and your parents didn't know where you were and you were supposed to be somewhere else and you had your friends cover for you and all that. And then somehow they found out. But it was like this unspoken thing that, no, they don't really know. Do you really know? Oh, it's awkward. It's crazy. And there's mass tension, right? But even more, when we live our lives and we're caught in things that we shouldn't be caught in, we just carry a heaviness with us. And so when, when Pastor John, Grandpa John, starts out and he says, I'm writing this so that your joy may be complete, and then he follows up to say, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, he's saying, hey, when you're in the light, when you're not living in sin, when you're doing things the way that you were made to do them, it's going to be better for you. And that's the thing that we start this whole chapter with. This idea of living in the light and doing things the way that we were made to be. And the things that we were called to do. Um, then John goes on in this and he says, uh, But if anyone does sin, 
We have an advocate. And so I like how he kind of sets up this thing to say, it, the goal is that you don't screw up, but we know you will. And I think it, all, it goes all the way back to like, I don't know if you've ever read Ecclesiastes or, or, or some of those things or even Proverbs. You read as Solomon is dedicating the temple uh, way back in the day, wisest leader in all the world, right? And you get Solomon and, and he's dedicating the temple and he says this, he says, there is not one of us without sin. There is not one of us who does not sin. And then even further, you find uh, Paul when he's talking to the Romans. And he says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Let me just give you a little thing here. First John, John, Pastor John, Grandpa John, whatever you want to go at. He says, the goal is that you don't sin, but I know you will. But I know you're going to struggle, but I know it's not in us to just do it perfectly every time. So here's your joy. On our behalf, Christ Jesus himself is standing next to the Father and he is pleading on your behalf. I love that idea. I love that idea that he is standing there as our advocate. And the word advocate literally means to be called to one's side, usually for the purpose of helping. Now, that would be kind of the idea of Jesus is our lawyer. Now, the funny part is, just like in our world, that we don't always have the best perspective of lawyers and whether they're truthful and upright and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, that was the same back in the day with Grandpa John. Because then he has to clarify, he's our lawyer, but let us understand this. He pleads our case to the Father, but he's the only one who is righteous. So he's pleading and he's the only one you will ever find who does not have an ulterior motive where he wants to get something out of you. He's not going to take advantage of you and he's not going to do anything only for his benefit, but he loves you and he wants to live in you and through you and allow you to do well as well. I love that he takes that, that picture of it and he goes even a step further in verse 2. He says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. In other translations, the word propitiation is used. And back in the day, uh, when we were in Sunday school, like with the little kids, um, you'd hear a word like that, and you'd think like that was the closest to a cuss word you could get in church, right? You'd say, yeah, well, propitiation, right? And people are like, ah! what did you say? Then we'd use the one like, oh, your epidermis is showing, right? Like, oh, that's a big joke, right? But that's church kid stuff, okay? So, um, but the idea though, this propitiation, this idea that uh, it's a means whereby our sins are covered or cared for. From the very beginning, we know that when we mess up, something has to die, right? For sacrifice has to be made in order for us to be made right. That's the idea of having something take your place. And so he comes and he says, not only does Christ Jesus stand uh, at the ready to make an accounting for you, but he himself lays himself on the line. He puts himself in the way of harm. He puts himself and literally put himself on the cross so that you and I could be made right. And he's reminding these people, he's reminding the churches and he's reminding us tonight. That even on our very best day, we are not good enough. That there had to be something that would take place. And there had to be somebody who would give their life in order for us to truly live. 
In verse 3 it says, And we can be sure that we know Him by if he, we obey His commands. When we obey the commands of others, we convey a few things. One, love. Another one, respect. And obedience has a, a level of, of, of respect that kind of just carries us all the way through. We have one of our uh, students from Pipeline Church. Uh, he got to be here for a couple months, and now he's off at West Point being a really cool military guy, right? And one of the first things they teach them there when they go into that academy is you follow the rules. So I was texting with him. I get to do that every so often. And I was like, How, how's it going? He was like, it's, it's tough, but it's not as bad as they make it out to be. All you got to do is do exactly what they say. Nothing else. Like you do exactly what they say. Look at your book. Look at your book. If they say look up. You look up. Don't look anywhere else. Like it's like a giant game of Simon Says, right? You obey, you obey, you obey. And what they'll tell you is in that training, you're learning to survive. You're learning the the things that you need in order. Because if you follow what they tell you to do, you may live. And, And it's a part of the training that you obey. And there's respect that goes with that. When, uh... When I was growing up in the church and, and again, just kind of learning as a pastor, there was uh, my dad used to say this as well as some other leaders and preachers that I would listen to. And they would say the church is educated above its level of obedience. The truth is, we know what to do. We know what's the right thing. It just stinks to have to do the right thing in every situation. Right? Like, I love... Picking like if I have five life scenarios and like three or four of them, I pick the right thing in those. Maybe that's a pretty good average, right? I did pretty good. But the truth is God calls us to do right in every situation, in every season. And what we understand there is that, yeah, that's really complicated. Because when it gets down to it, that's going to cost me something. When it gets down to it, if I do right all the time, then then I may not attain some of the goals that I have for myself. And I might be left hanging in certain areas of my life. But in others, I will find the fruit of what God provided and is providing. And so when we look at verse 3 and it says we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commands, he hearkens back to this idea that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verses 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel is speaking to Saul, the very first king of Israel. And he has to give Saul some really bad news. Saul has stepped out of order and he has done things that were not the way that God planned them for his leadership. And Saul's trying to make it, well, you don't understand, like, I did this because I had to, because I was feeling this way, and, you know, I just wanted to get on the the road, and we did this, and he's making all this rationalization, and Samuel steps back and goes, Saul, 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 let me help you understand something. In God's economy, obedience is better than sacrifice. And because you did not understand that obedience is better than sacrifice, You are no longer blessed by God to be the king of Israel. And he will remove you from leadership today. And that day, everything changed. And that's a lesson that 
Grandpa John is trying to to hearken us back to, to remember that obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, but you don't understand. I gave a lot of money to Pipeline Church. Like, praise God, I I did that. I, I went above and beyond that obedience is better than sacrifice. I'd rather you lead your family than give us a million dollars. Now, if you want to do both, that's fantastic, right? But I'd rather you leave a legacy in your family where your kids never wonder where daddy is or where mom is or where their faith is. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And as we cruise through this section of Scripture, we see John say, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living the truth. And that sounds really harsh, but when you see somebody who says that they're a Christian and they do something completely opposite, what does it make you think? They're a liar and they're not living the truth. And the world judges us on that standard. And they say, oh yeah, you sit in this backyard and you hear these things and you eat mass amounts of meats after you're done. That's awesome. That's great. That's wonderful. But is your life any different? And so John takes us back and says, obey God's commandments. Don't be a liar. Be people who walk in the light. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that's how we know that they're living in him. And the final verse says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And that's where we're going to leave off today. When I was in uh, high school, I went to high school in 1990 to 94. And for some of you, that's really old. And for some of you, that's really young. And I don't really want to hear either side of it. I'm just telling you, all right? Um, but in 94 and through the 90s, there was this big thing. And some of you will be like, oh, snap, that was the jam, right? Where people would wear these bracelets around. There were little tied-up bracelets. And woven into them, it said WWJD, Right? And it started out like, what is that? And people say, what would Jesus do? You know, we're going to do everything like Jesus. We're going to be people like Jesus. And then eventually it got a little bit older and the people in my class started saying, it means white wine and Jack Daniels, man. That's the way we go, right? And I'm like, oh no, what have we done, right? And there's always, yeah, there's, there's, there's all kinds of like, there was also one like, what would Johnny do? And that was like for Johnny Cash, right? And there was a couple others. But the big picture here was this, this phenomenon had taken place because there's a youth pastor in Holland, Michigan, okay? According to the Reformed people, that's like Mecca, right? All right? So um, in Holland, Michigan, there was this youth pastor, and he was reading a book that was written in 1896. Really smart dude, right? This old book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. And this was a passage from Charles Sheldon's book in 1896. Remember, 18, not 19, 18, Okay? said this, I heard some people singing at a church prayer meeting the other night. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. All my beings ransomed powers. All my thoughts and all my doings. All my days and all my hours. And I kept wondering as I sat on the steps outside just what they meant by it. It seems to me there's an awful lot of trouble in the world that somehow wouldn't exist if all the people who sang such songs went and lived them out. I suppose I don't understand. But what would Jesus do? 
Is that what you mean by following in his steps? It it seems to me sometimes as if the people in the big churches had good clothes and nice houses to live in and money to spend on luxuries and they could go away on summer vacations and all that while the people outside the churches, thousands of them, I mean, they die in tenements and walk the streets for jobs and never have a piano or a picture in the house and grow up in misery and drunkenness and sin. And that phrase inspired this youth pastor in Holland, Michigan to challenge his kids in his church to remember every minute of every day, what would Jesus do in that situation? Are you going to be better than the person in the nice house with the nice things, with all the nice stuff, while people are walking the streets crazy, apart from God? Are we going to be people that will rescue the next generation? We live in like nice little Visalia, California. Some of you in Tulare and Tipton. That's okay. We'll annex you. But my heart's cry is verse 6 where it says, Those who would live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. When was the last time you looked at somebody and you saw the situation that they were in and you cried over them because they were lost? When was the last time that we had a passion that allowed us to get outside of ourselves in such a way that it totally inconvenienced our lives and schedule to proclaim the name of Jesus or pass a blessing on in the name of Jesus? We love the idea of handing somebody a water bottle and saying, hey, Jesus loves you, bro. But does it get more than that at times? It should. And so our call tonight is this, and this is kind of where God's been working in my heart all week. My dear children, the idea is that we don't sin. But when we do, we know that there's help. We do, and we know that there is someone who will resolve and redeem us back from the torment and the torture we might put ourselves into. But there is a world outside of this world here who has no clue. And they live in their own personal hell every day. Because they don't know that they can be redeemed and renewed by the blood of the Lamb. Would we be the people that bring Jesus? Would we be the people that proclaim the good name and the good work of the Son of God on the cross? And would we be the ones who sacrifice a little more of ourselves for the hope of His glorious treasure? Let's pray. So God, we call before, come before you tonight, and I just want to thank you for everybody who's here. You uh, specifically have been working in my heart this week, and I can't express enough gratitude for the things you've been showing me. I can't tell you enough how grateful I am that, Father God, you've, you've helped so many of us to see the truth and to be people who live in the light. Lord, we just come before you tonight and I pray that you would help us to be people who live in the light. 
That you would be with us every minute of every day. That you would help us put aside foolish conversations and talk. And that you would help us put aside the things that so easily trap us and catch us up. For some of us, those are big things. For for others of us, there's little things that we've just been holding deep inside for a really long time that we don't want to talk to anybody about, that we don't want anybody really to know about. But God, tonight we trust you with those things. Father, I pray that if we're not in the middle of the battle with our own hearts, that you would put us in the middle of the battle for the hearts and minds and lives of those around us, that we would care beyond measure that we would show love and we would show compassion and literally as that book and that youth pastor from the 90s called his youth ministry to do that we would ask every minute of every day what what would Jesus do what would the son of God do here Just sitting here uh, with your eyes closed, I think this is a perfect place for just reflection. I believe that God has for us a, a very special call tonight. A call to be made new. A call to be refreshed call to be made alive some of you have been in church a really long time and some of you have been hurt by a lot of churches and some of you have been active in a lot of churches and there's all of us come to all these places in in a very different way but I think right now it's just where are you and Jesus like where are you and the living Savior right now If you're here and you have not had the opportunity at a church or in a church setting where you could say that that you've decided that you have in your heart of hearts made the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior and called on the name of God to be your God. I'm going to ask if maybe you'd take this chance to do it. We're not going to make a big deal about it. We do this every single week because I never want to miss an opportunity. But if you're here tonight and you have never said, God, I I choose you because you chose me. Then this would be a great chance to do it. And here's how we do it. The first thing is, wherever you are, and for all of us tonight, we recognize that we're sinful. Just for a moment, I'm not going to say anything, but in whatever scenario you're at, whether you're a believer or you have not made that decision yet, now is the time to say, God, I've sinned and I've messed up and I need you to forgive me in these areas and I need your cleaning. And I'm just going to ask in these moments, just in silence, for you to kind of pray that prayer to the Lord. Maybe even just for some things this week that you need to repent of and ask for His forgiveness. Just do that where you're at right now.
For most of us, that doesn't take a long, drawn-out prayer because we know where we're broken. But it leads us to the next portion and the next place is to say, God, I receive your forgiveness. I accept the gift of your son, and I want you to be my God. And if that's you and you'd like to respond to that prayer, I just want to pray a prayer over you and with you. And so I'm just going to ask you, you can raise your hand or you can look at me and just make sure we connect eyes or whatever, however that works for you. I want to be able to pray with you tonight where you're saying, I want God to be my God and I want to be a little bit different. I want to be a lot different. Just now would be a great opportunity for you to do that. Just raise your hand or look at me and respond and then we're going to pray and move on. cool great thank you for listening to God anybody else I don't want to pass this by too quick we had a couple people respond and so I'm just going to ask you to pray with me as we pray right now dear God Would you be Lord of everything? Would you take everything that we are and everything that I am? And would you make it right? God, would you be my God and would you be in control and and give me the strength to live in your truth? And would people know who I am because I follow your way? God, I trust you with my life. Give me the strength to live that promise out. Jesus name we pray. Amen. If you're here and you were challenged in some way by this message or there's something that just kind of resonated in your head, maybe you even had like a passing thought where you're like, "Oh man, that was that was a big thing or this person's been on my mind." I would encourage you, that's the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Don't let it pass. Write it down. Follow through with that. Do something with it. If you've ever wondered like, oh, God doesn't speak to me. Those are the kind of things that happen where God is speaking to our hearts and leading us to places that he has provided for us. We're going to end our service by standing and singing together. Some of you standing out of the sun rays that are popping through. And we're going to wrap up with a song and a benediction tonight. Would you worship with us tonight? So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. So I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Set a fire down in my God of all goodness and grace and peace bless you this week. May his face shine on you like the brightest sun of the greatest summer days ever. And may his peace be so alive in your heart, in your life, that people around you begin asking, what did you do this Labor Day weekend? May his goodness flow out from you that you wouldn't even have to ask what would Jesus do, but your life would reflect that without even thinking. And may the countenance of a God who sent his son and redeems us daily be on your face in such a way that this world will not remain the same because you've been touched by the son. Go and do good in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great night. We love you, Pipeline Church.